Good afternoon, everyone. We're broadcasting live from the AM 1160 The Quest studio this afternoon to bring you a special live interview. Since as many of you have heard, we unfortunately had to postpone our spring share-a-thon. I'm Annie Porter, and I'm joined in studio by Steph Ike, Jack Tyson, and Carol Tearsmith. And on the phone, we have Father Jim Blunt from the Society of Our Lady of the Trinity. During this hour, we're going to be talking about tips on staying close to the Lord in turbulent times. Because as we all know, we could use some encouragement and spiritual guidance right now. We know all good things start in prayer. So, Father Jim, would you lead us in an opening prayer? All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Jesus, we praise you, we adore you, we love you. We thank you for the gift of our lives, and especially for the pearl of great price that is the Catholic faith, the Christian religion. We praise you for all you have given to us, and even following the instructions of the saints, we thank you for our crosses as well. Help us to carry our crosses, my beautiful Lord Jesus, with peace and even with a little bit of joy. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. You're welcome. Thank you, too. So if you're just joining us now, we are broadcasting live from the AM 1160 Quest studio this hour. I'm Steph Ike, and I'm joined in the studio by Carol Tearsmith, Jack Tyson, and Annie Porter. Joining us on the phone is Father Jim Blount, and we are talking about ways to stay close to the Lord in turbulent times. So, Father, for the people who have not heard of your religious order, the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity, Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. We were founded um, on July the 16th, the feast day of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, back in the year 1958. And we were founded by um, a holy um, priest, Father Jim Flanagan. He was from the Archdiocese of Boston. And Father Jim has since gone to his reward just a few years ago, but he was rather a saintly priest. And he received special visions while he was in the seminary as a seminarian that our Lord and Our Lady were requesting of Father Jim to start a new religious order in the church, the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. And so he actually spoke to his archbishop on the day of his ordination to receive permission. And the archbishop um, tested him and said, you know, it's a good idea, but you need some experience as a priest first. And so he was asked to serve in a parish there in the Boston Archdiocese for five years. Mm. Father Jim, no arguing, no hesitation, said, yes, yes, Bishop. And he served in a parish for five years. He's quite an amazing priest, very gifted in many ways, a Holy Spirit priest, you might say. But he was very humble and obedient, too. It's a very important lesson there for all of us that no matter what gifts we have received from the Holy Spirit, always be humble, always be obedient. Let the gifts flow through love and through humility. And that was the example that Father Flanagan, Father Jim Flanagan, gave to us. And five years later, he says to the very day and hour, he was in the Archbishop's office again. And said, Mm. Archbishop, I'm back, and you told me to serve for five years, and it was five years to the very hour. And the Archbishop remembered Father Flanagan, remembered what he had said about the order, and was pleased and sent our founder out to New Mexico to serve under a bishop there named Bishop Byrne, who was a, known as a, almost like a mystic bishop, a very holy, prayerful bishop, to test Father Jim. 
And so he went out to, to New Mexico, and that's really where we were founded. So we were founded, our official date is July 16, 1958, by Father Jim uh, in the Diocese of New Mexico, there, Santa Fe, New Mexico. And we slowly spread, and now we have um, outposts really all over the world. And we're a missionary community approved by the Catholic Church. And we work, and our special charism is, you might say, twofold in particular. We, we work in areas of deepest apostolic need. In other words, we go to where the church needs us the most. So if there is like a, a parish that nobody in the diocese wants to take, maybe it's too poor or too dangerous, then we'll take that parish. Or if there is a need, uh, for instance, for, for drug, drug therapy, which we did in Thailand, so we started a drug training program, a drug therapy program, residential, that had the highest success rate in the entire world. We take whatever the bishop needs, and we'll send a team there. And that's the second part of our charism, is we try to work as a, as a team, actually as a family. And so the vision Father Jim received from our Lord and Our Lady was that the church should work together as a team. So we have like a funny saying in our own community among the priests, no lone rangers. <laughs> <laughs> We figure that's how many priests have gotten in trouble to begin with. I mean, to be very honest with you, and other people as well. But Jesus himself surrounded himself with a team, right, of 12 mm -hmm. apostles, and also his holy mother, if we're going to be honest about it. Right. So that was the charism our founder was given. We try to work in teams that would include all three vocations. So we like to work in union, the priests, with the religious you know, religious nuns and brothers, and with gifted lay people as well. So ideally, we'll have a team of a priest and a nun and a lay person, could be two or three or four of each of those vocations working together. And the Lord had shown Father Flanagan that this is like a microcosm of the church. It's like a microcosm. The church has priests and religious and lay people. So it's good for every team, every mission, to have all three vocations, like a small, a miniature church, working together for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to flow through the priests and through the nuns and through the laity together. So we call those family ecclesial teams. And indeed, some of our teams will have a married couple with us, hmm. priests and nuns and a, and a married couple with their children. They usually have their separate homes, of course, separate rectories or convents, but living together in the same area and working together for the same mission. And one of the scripture verses that comes to my mind from the Old Testament, a mysterious scripture verse, states that a triple cord cannot be broken. A triple cord cannot be broken. So there's a certain power in coming together as threesomes. God himself, you see, is a threesome. Mm -hmm. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and creating us in his image and likeness, what did he create? He created a threesome, Adam and Eve and their children. So every family is a threesome. And the church, the infallible church that he founded, is going through rough times now, but a great victory is coming. The church that the Lord created also has a threesome. It has priests, which includes bishops and deacons, and it has the religious, holy nuns and holy brothers, and lay people. Mm -hmm. And so we try to work together as, as much as possible with all three vocations, cooperating, praying, and working together to bring like a, a microcosm of the church 
steeped in prayer to every mission. And it's amazing how God will work through all three vocations in different ways. Mm-hmm. There's something complete about it. There's something whole about it. And here's a wonderful saying that I actually learned from a beautiful bishop years ago. It goes like this. We'll never have it all together, but together we'll have it all. I love that. I love it. Wow. (laughs) Isn't that powerful? Yes, it is. We sort of live by that in our salt community, and it's really something for the whole church. And so no one listening should feel so terribly bad. None of us is perfect. Only God is perfect, and his Holy Mother, because of God, is perfect. But for us, we'll never have it all together till we get to heaven. Right. But together, we'll have it all. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's great. It, You've shared a really good background for us for SOLT. I think we all have this new appreciation and recognition when we see SOLT, see SOLT. We know what that'll mean to us now. You've given us a great picture, so we appreciate that. Thank you. And, you know, Father, there is no way that we can have you on for an hour without talking a little bit about the number one topic today and everyone in, in the U.S., and that's the coronavirus pandemic. What do you think we can do to keep our peace during this time? No, that's an excellent question, because it's at the heart of the gospel. In fact, as St. John writes in one of his letters, he says, Do not live in fear, my little flock. Do not live in fear. Jesus, our Lord himself, said, Peace I give you. Not as the world gives I, but my peace I give you. And so deep abiding peace is a sign, you see, of our faith, of the abiding presence of God, the indwelling Trinity. Peace is like it's part and parcel, is substantial to the Catholic faith, to the Christian faith. We need to cultivate peace as best we can and pray for it. So how can we bring us this peace into our hearts and souls? I believe we should go to the Queen of Peace, first of all, to the Mm -hmm. Virgin herself. She's like the model Christian for all of us, is the Holy Mother. And even at Calvary, when the storms of time and and of the devil himself crucifying her son in front of her, Our Lady did not scream out, and she did not, she did not lose her peace. Her heart was broken, I'm sure, in a million pieces. And still our Holy Mother maintained this, this integrity and this peace about her. And Mama says that the peace that God gave her is for her to share with the human race. The peace that reigns in Mary's heart is a peace for all of us to tap into. And, of course, the main thing, I mean, the most powerful prayer would be the rosary itself. Mm-hmm. to pray Mary's rosary. Even beautiful Protestants can pray the rosary. I have Protestant friends who do pray the rosary daily. It becomes a great source of peace for everyone. In fact, a Lutheran pastor wrote a book about the rosary. It was called really? Five for Sorrow, Ten for Joy. He was so enamored of the rosary. It was such a blessing to himself and his congregation. And so there's a peace that comes from Mary, and when we pray her holy rosary, now here's what's so interesting, is that the saints frequently have referred to Mary's rosary as her crown, Mary's crown. Mm-hmm. Well, crown, another word for crown is corona. <laughs> corona <laughs> <Wow>. means crown. <laughs> Would you give me a break? That's what it means. <laughs> and so we see that in the, in the very name of this virus, in the very name is the answer 
to the virus. And this is how God always works. Thomas Aquinas spoke eloquently about the simplicity of God. And when we get too complicated in our lives and in our theology, you can be sure we're departing from the ways of God. There's something man-made entering into our thinking. God is a God of innocence and simplicity, brilliant as he is. So we see here in the coronavirus, and the Lord always does this, he will make the evil one show forth, manifest himself, and even give us the answer. So here is the answer to the coronavirus. is the corona of Mary. The crown of Mary, if we pray the rosary, will not only give us peace, but it is supernaturally effective. Supernaturally effective. And the rosary will give us a peace that will be dynamic and protect ourselves and our family, yes, from even physical sicknesses and diseases. So you really couldn't do much better than for all of our listeners to pull out their rosary. If they don't have one, they can call my offices or, or call yours. I'll make sure you have extra. We'll give, give everyone a rosary for free. Just pull out their rosaries, shake them off, and start praying them. <laughs> because it will bring peace and protection and even joy. Yes. Even joy. And here's another old saying that I really love. It's, it's, sort of, it's very insightful about our Lord's peace and the gift of his joy. It says this, peace is joy that is resting. Joy is peace that is dancing. Yeah, can you tell us that one one more time? I bet a lot of people want to write that down. Sure. Peace is joy that is resting or sleeping. And joy is peace that is dancing. Mm. Wow. Love it. Beautiful. Yes, they're related to one another. And so here's another reason, a motivating factor for, for our good people. is We want to seek for peace because you know why? Peace is the seed of joy. Joy is impossible without peace. But when we do have peace and we pray, it's like breathing on a little fire. It fans it into a flame. So when we do have the peace of the Lord and we keep praying, sooner or later you're going to start dancing for joy. Joy will begin to enter your heart because peace and joy really are the same thing. They are the presence of God in the human heart. When all is in right order, it's the presence of the Lord himself within us. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our joy. Great. Thank you, Father. This is Carol. And uh, Father Jim, you know, as this coronavirus spreads, um, we see more and more archdioceses are making the decision to suspend public masses, uh, including, uh, as of yesterday, um, our own archdiocese of Atlanta. And so I just ask, Father Jim, what kind of advice can you give for those um, faithful that how they can stay close to God without the direct uh, access to the Eucharist? Well, I would say, Carol, that St. Alphonsus de Gori was one of those preeminent saints who wrote about spiritual communion. And spiritual communion is an ancient exercise in the Holy Catholic Church, but it is unusually effective. It has been necessary in many countries, even today in mainland China, there are deeply believing Catholics who can't get to Mass, but they can make a spiritual communion. And 
what happens is that as we focus on the Holy Eucharist, perhaps for your, your listeners, I would recommend they get a picture of the Blessed Sacrament. They can probably download one right to the computer and print it today sure. to make a, have a picture of the Holy Eucharist, of the Blessed Sacrament, and to sit or kneel before that picture and to pray the rosary. But then to ask the Lord, Lord, I cannot receive you physically at this moment, but I am in love with you, and I need you. However, Lord, there are no obstacles to you or your presence. I ask you to fill my heart with the exact same graces as receiving physical Holy Communion. Now, Lord, because I'm hungering for you and I need you, please give me your Eucharistic grace now. I tell you, brothers and sisters, it works. I've had to use it myself a few times over the years. The Lord will come into our hearts and souls as we plead with him and ask him for the grace that all the graces of the Eucharist, and maybe even more, would flood our hearts now spiritually. Mm. God will answer that prayer. And Alphonsus, St. Alphonsus, was one of the saints who said that the grace received through a spiritual communion can be identical to the grace received at Holy Mass. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing, Father. It's very comforting, too, to remind us. It's something we probably all learned in our uh, elementary school in preparation for our First Communion, but uh, we forget. Uh, so it's beautiful. Exactly. It's an ancient Catholic practice, uh, but you know, ancient really doesn't mean old. Ancient means timeless. Right. So that's a timeless Catholic practice, and perhaps God gave it to the Church for times such as these. But I want to tell you, it is efficacious, and it's good to pray the Holy Rosary. And I'll tell you one of my own personal reasons, but I learned this mainly from St. John Eudes, would be this, that no one has ever loved Jesus more than Mary, ever. Mary adored her divine Son. So when we pray the Rosary, as John Paul said, as we pray the Rosary, we begin seeing Jesus with Mary's eyes and loving him with Mary's heart. And it's that kind of fiery love, that divine love, that opens up our hearts and our souls to all possibilities. So I would recommend to make a spiritual communion is to sit in the presence of Our Lady, to pray her Holy Rosary, and ask her to assist us in receiving a spiritual communion right then and there. And she will. Mm -hmm. Great, great. I do want to mention one more little thing, just on the side, is the Eucharist has a special title in the history of the Church. It's sometimes called, mystically, the bread of angels. The bread of angels. I think it's my favorite title for the Blessed Sacrament, the bread of angels. And yet, if you examine that, there's a deeper mystery here. You see, because angels don't have physical bodies like you and I do. Right. So how in the world can the Eucharist be the bread of angels when angels don't even have bodies? <laughs> we have to consider that. That's, that's a, you might say, an infallible declaration of the Church. He's called the bread of angels, the Holy Eucharist. Well, that's because the angels are present at every Mass. It's in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. All the angels come down for every Mass and for adoration. And they just have to take one look at their Lord and Savior. They take one look at Jesus, who's their Lord, too. And they swoon. They literally swoon with love. They are filled to overflowing with the presence of Christ simply by looking at him. 
because they're so in love with God. And so you see, what is that? That's a spiritual communion. Yes. The angels receive spiritual communion daily. And so there's another little resource is to call upon your guardian angel and ask your guardian angel or all the angels to surround you so that you and I can receive the Lord with a spiritual communion just like they do. So now the bread of angels will become, we might say, the bread of spirits for human beings, for the bread of souls when we can't receive him physically. The angels will assist us in this beautiful and laudable practice of the spiritual communion. That's beautiful. Father, you just, uh, you just mentioned something that I want to follow up on. You, I, I know recently there's been a, a, a YouTube video that's called Unveiled that's been released, and I know it's gotten a lot of hits on YouTube, and it basically uh, is a, a depiction of what you just described, that at the consecration that the, all the angels and saints are present on, all around the altar uh, when, when the transubstantiation occurs. Uh, but you also mentioned that that happens also when there's Eucharistic adoration. Did I understand that correctly? Yes, it's true. I mean, the, the angels have been assigned by the Lord to actually to everyone, and not only to the baptized, but the Church teaches that everyone in the whole human race, like those out in the Far East or the Middle East, they too receive the guardian angel. And the angels stay with us day and night, day and night. And their task really ultimately is to lead us to salvation, to lead us somehow to heaven. And they're always leading, especially faithful Catholics, and and maybe not so faithful Catholics, trying to lead us to the Lord, especially as he's present in the Blessed Sacrament. So if we read the instructions well from the Archdiocese yesterday here in Atlanta, that our churches will remain open for adoration. My goodness, there is the best place to do your spiritual communion, mm. but your angels get excited. You know what it's like. You know, when you fall in love with someone, whether you're a teenager, you know, falling in love with the, most pretty, the prettiest girl in the school, or whether, like, you have your favorite uncle or aunt that you love with all your heart. When you love somebody, when you love someone, just being in their presence is like drinking a glass of cold water. It's, it's so refreshing. If you love, let's say, a newborn baby, the baby can't say anything to you. The baby's asleep in the crib, and you look at that baby, and you're so in love that you're filled to overflowing with this presence of godly love, looking at a brand-new baby. The angels are that way with Jesus in the Eucharist. And we go to adoration. We make our angels delirious. We make them delirious with joy when we go to adoration. They try to lead us there for our own sakes. But when we walk in the door, they start going bananas with joy because they're in the presence of the one that they love. They know who Jesus is, and they know who's present in the Eucharist. So, yes, they're very present in a very special way in the Mass, in adoration, in the Rosary, in anything. They're present at all times, but especially at prayerful times of reverence and worship. Wow, thank you, Father. That's really comforting in this in this in these times. By the way, that video you mentioned is quite beautiful. It's really well done. It was made you know, not too long ago, so I would recommend it to all your listeners. I think it's called Unveiled. Mm-hmm. I saw it twice. It's so so good. It, it it encapsulates everything the church teaches. You might say about the heavenly presence at every liturgy. 
So it would be good for all listeners to look that up. It's not very long. It's exquisitely beautiful. And just to keep in mind that those same angels and saints are also present at your spiritual communion, at your adoration, and at your rosary. They're also present there. This is what the Church means by the dogma of the communion of saints, that we are surrounded by a family of saints. Even the book of Hebrews bears witness to that, that a great cloud of witnesses is observing us and cheering us on. So this is solid Catholic doctrine. And you see, this really hits a really central point in our time, is that our Catholic doctrine, yes, it needs to be better known, but here's the thing. It needs to float down from the head to the heart. We can't be head Christians just in our head. We need to be heart Christians, too. Our new saint, St. John Henry Newman, spoke about that. God speaks from heart to heart, he says. Not from head to head, from heart to heart. So it's essential in our times. We're living like in a desert time. It's essential in our times that we receive the living water of the Catholic faith that's not just understood by the head, but embraced by the heart. John Paul himself said that mankind today, and he was actually speaking of teenagers in particular, we need an experience of God's love. Not just to talk about it, we need an experience of the heavenly presence of the Lord. And so these Catholic doctrines, they can be experienced. And where do you begin? Well, asking for it. Lord, allow me to experience your presence. Allow me to know your love. And the community of saints, that can be experienced. And we should ask for that grace. So the Catholic faith is not just what the kids call a head trip. It's not just a head trip. <laughs> it's a heart trip as well. Wow, I get it. Father, this is Jack. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here uh, very quickly. We have about three minutes um, before a break that's upcoming. Yes, sir. And I wanted to shift gears just a little bit. And I've heard about a, a, a book that you're recommending, a new book that, that's out in the market that's a geared especially for men. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And, and we can come back after the break and, and finish if, if uh, you need more time. Sure. Um, there's a wonderful uh, Christian writer, Christine Watkins. She herself had a dramatic conversion and has written several best-selling Catholic books that are touching people all over the world. And she and I have become uh, pretty close friends, brother and sister. And one of her books is called Of Men and Mary. Of Men and Mary. And it contains six testimonies of Catholic men. And it speaks about, the idea is this, that these are men whose lives were completely shattered by, for instance, drugs and alcohol. For instance, adultery and fornication. Yes, homosexuality and other terrible difficulties that had brought these men, you might, down to the pits. And they wanted, some of them wanted to commit suicide. They were ready to end their lives. And the dramatic intervention of the Holy Spirit in the lives of these six men, in particular through Mechagori, through the apparitions of Our Lady and Mechagori, which, in case your listeners don't know, the Vatican gave approval just a couple years ago, for Mechagori is now to be an official site of Roman Catholic pilgrimage. It is now an official approved site of Catholic pilgrimage. That's awesome. 
Yes, it's now approved as a site of pilgrimage. Priests and bishops, in other words, can go there publicly and advertise it publicly as a Catholic pilgrimage. And the first several messages have already been vetted and approved. I forget how many, like from the first week, maybe it's seven or eight messages, have been completely approved by the church. And they're waiting for the rest of them because the visionaries are still alive. And the, the messages are ongoing. Therefore, the bishops are being prudent here about withholding complete approval for all the messages until they're all done. Nevertheless, the Church has acknowledged and the Vatican has assigned a bishop there, an extra bishop, just for the pilgrims. Because the testimonies there, the miracles that are happening physically and spiritually are absolutely phenomenal. There have been millions of conversions, and we know hundreds and hundreds of priestly vocations have come from Echigori. And so our Lord himself gave us the standard, right? He said, mm-hmm. by their fruits you will know them, by their fruits. And so the fruits of Mechagori have been nothing less than incredible. And these are six men who, one way or the other, were touched by the Virgin Mary's presence and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that occurred, that happened to them while they were there. And one of them, one of my favorites is a gentleman who was... Um, ready to be drafted in the NFL as a full-time professional football player. And his journey, he was raised in a Catholic family and got off on the wrong tracks. And he had to go to Mexico. His mother forced him to go. He was like a six foot seven, 300-pound football player in college. And his mom said, you're going. No, Mom, you're going. (laughs) It shows you how powerful our mothers and grandmothers can be. This big boy had no question he had to obey his mama, and he went. You have to hear the story of this football player, how he challenged God. And we went into the confessional to make a confession. He was thrown back against his will, against the back of the confessional, and pinned down by invisible hands. He had asked God to give him a sign that God indeed is real. So God dealt with a big, physical, you may say giant of a man, in a physical, giant way. And this man could not get up from the floor until Father gave him the absolution. And when the priest gave him the absolution and forgave his sins, boom, the hand disappeared, and he stood upright again. And he realized, oh, my gosh, God is real. Talk about And that's just the beginning of the story. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Um, Repeat the name of that book one more time for our listeners. Of Men and Mary by Christine Watkins. I'm telling you, it is one of the most exciting books I've read in years. Literally exciting for teenagers as well. It's exciting. And it's good for all the men in your life should have one. Father's Day is coming pretty soon. Get them in advance for your husbands, your fathers, your sons, your uncles, your nephews. This book is phenomenal, and these are men's men. I mean, these are these men are strong and intelligent. Someone one was like a successful millionaire. How God dealt with him. He died unexpectedly on a hospital operating room as a young man, and how he had a visitation from heaven and from hell. How he was completely converted and became a Catholic priest. My goodness, wow. my goodness. Wow. Well, y'all, you, you heard it here. you got to go get it, Father Jim. Yes. He's really pushing it, man. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't make any money from it. But I'm, hey, you've gotta go to, I'm too to, excited. Yeah, we've got to go to a quick break. So we'll be back in just three minutes. But stick with us. We'll be back with more with Father Jim Blunt. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Coveney from Mara School in Atlanta, Georgia. You're listening to Atlanta Catholic Radio, AM 1160, The Quest. 
Does your parish, charitable organization, or ministry have an upcoming event that you'd like to promote? Advertise it on AM 1160, the Quest Community Calendar. It's easy and there's never a fee. Just visit thequestatlanta.com, click on events, and submit your activity or event. Enhance the success of your community outreach event. Take advantage of the Quest Atlanta's complimentary community calendar and gain more exposure to the Metro Faith community. Submit your event at thequestatlanta.com today. So, you love listening to The Quest but can't always listen live? No worries. Now with the Quest Atlanta app, you never have to miss out. Listen on demand, submit prayer requests, catch up on the latest headlines, and so much more. Available on the App Store and Google Play today. The Quest presents A Daily Dose of Virtue with Jay Tremonti from Venture with Virtue. Defining moments. We all have them. Bill Hanslick shared his with me that led to playing in the NBA. The most difficult moment when he was let go from his dream job as NBA coach and where he is today, which is the happiest place of his career, running a nonprofit. Bill didn't see it at the time, but now looking back, he admits none of it would have happened without God. This can happen to us as well. Have you looked back lately? Have you identified your defining moments? Without recognizing God in the past, it's hard to trust Him in the present. If we want to grow in the virtue of faith, it's essential to practice trusting God. The more we trust God, the more we say yes to Him with our mind and our will, and the more we grow in faith and live the good life on the path to heaven. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. AM 1160 The Quest is your metro-wide Atlanta Catholic radio station. Our programming is rooted in the teachings of the Catholic Church and helps listeners learn new and fascinating aspects of our faith. Here at The Quest, our mission is simple and powerful, to invite, inform, and inspire listeners to embrace their journey of faith through the beauty of the Catholic Church. The Quest team continues to hear wonderful testimonies from listeners all around Atlanta. One listener shared, The Quest helps me grow my faith every day I listen. Every day, I feel the Holy Spirit talking to me through the quest. If I have a question, it seems like the answers come to me through this Catholic radio station in a timely manner. I enjoy the programming, and yes, it has changed me. It's definitely changed me. None of this would be possible without listeners just like you. We are a 100% listener-supported station. A donation of any amount helps to cover the ongoing operational expenses. Your donation is helping to bring your fellow Catholics and Christians closer to Christ. To donate, visit thequestatlanta.com. It's a good day, good day to be alive. Everyone sing now, so let's do more than just survive. Welcome back, everyone. If you're just joining us, we're broadcasting live out of AM 1160, the Quest Studio this hour. I'm Annie Porter, and I'm joined in studio by Steph Ike, Carol Tiersmick, and Jack Tyson. And on the phone with us, we've got Father Jim Blunt. And we're talking about ways to stay close to the Lord in these turbulent times. Father, uh, we've, we were talking before the break about the, the, the new book that you highly recommend, and um, you talked about how that really is uh, really the infusion of the Holy Spirit. And, and we all know that we receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit during our confirmation, but um, uh, many of those gifts are dormant in, in us. And so can you give us any... Uh, any ideas about how we can stir up that uh, Holy Spirit that's living within each of us um, in our add to our daily life and our prayer life as well? Sure. I'll do the best that I can. This is a a very poignant topic. 
it touches on something we mentioned before the break, that for many of us Catholics, that our, our Christian faith has become um, a head trip, something that's like purely intellectual. And to me, that's very, uh, very much a boo-boo. It's a big mistake. For example, just quoting the infallible words of Scripture, the words of Christ himself, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, I think we can agree that Jesus was infallible, that he made no mistakes. And notice he didn't put the mind first, or, God forbid, only the mind. You shall love the Lord your God with your mind and only with your mind. No, 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 no. He actually put the mind third. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. You see, with our emotions, with our intellect, with our bodies, and with our spirits. Yeah. And so the Catholic faith needs to be wholly integrated, wholly integrated, to love God with everything that we are. And the Holy Spirit comes to vivify the, the baptized Catholic, to fill him with life in every part of his being. So we do want to ask for, a, a, let me say, a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Perhaps it's even wiser to say, for the spirit who's inside of me at baptism or confirmation to be unlocked. It's like we receive this gift of this holy living dove that is the Holy Spirit. And for whatever reason, he's placed in a little cage in the back corner of our hearts where he can't do a whole lot of good. We need to release the Holy Spirit from that little cage in the back hallway of our hearts and let him flood every part of our heart and soul. St. Pope Paul VI actually said this. St. Pope Paul VI. He said, for us Catholics, he says, the Holy Spirit is the law. For Catholics, the Holy Spirit is the law. And St. Pope Pius XII said this. St. Pope Pius XII, a brilliant intellect, he said this. He wrote a letter about the Sacred Heart of Jesus, an encyclical. And he wrote that devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus Christ is, in reality, devotion to the Holy Spirit. And so you see, he's the third person of the Holy Trinity, but perhaps the most neglected person of the Holy Trinity. The first Catholics know they were in, on fire with the Holy Spirit. And the Lord has been trying to, to stir up that flame again ever since St. Pope John XXIII called the Second Vatican Council. But he didn't just call a council. He prayed publicly that the Lord would give to the church a new Pentecost. A new Pentecost. So what happens when we only have our Catholic faith in our hands, basically it's a question of control that we become Catholics who are in control. If I got it in my mind, I got it. Nothing could be further from the truth. The idea is not to be in control, it's to let God be in control. So when I have the Catholic faith in my intellect, I want the Holy Spirit to breathe on these truths and make them come alive in my life. How can we stir up this Holy Spirit first? Just use a traditional prayer. And let's say it right now. If you know it, we'll say it right now. Uh, many saints recommended this prayer. And it's good to say this every day, even several times a day. This prayer alone 
will begin to unlock the Holy Spirit from that little cage deep in the hallways of our heart. It goes like this. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful. Enkindle within us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit you did instruct the hearts of your faithful, grant us by the same Holy Spirit that we may be made truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolations through the same Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Isn't that a beautiful prayer? It is a beautiful prayer. And, you know, Father, someone said to me that the Holy Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son. Do you believe that? It's correct. In, In other words, the way some theologians explain it is this way, that in heaven, you see, everything is alive in heaven. God even sits on a throne of angels, not a wooden throne, but a throne of angels. There's nothing more alive than God and his love. And the love between the Father and the Son is so intense, is so alive, and so real, it's actually another person. And you see how God built that into the human nature, too, right? When a man loves a woman, we say, please, God, in a chaste manner, the use of our sexual relations should only be within a holy marriage between a man and a woman, and no other way should we be using that gift. But when we use the gift that God has given to us in the way that God has instructed us, I'm telling you what, the love gets stronger and stronger between a man and his wife. And that love, it results, what, in another person? (laughs) A baby's born, something beautiful. And you see how God is sort of imprinting on human nature some of the reality, the dynamic reality within his own nature. That their love was so intense and so great, so to speak, that it actually became, you might say, another person, the Holy Spirit. St. Augustine said... The proper name of the Holy Spirit is love. That's his, that's his proper name. His name is love. Mm. Love that. Well, we were talking this morning about, and this is changing the subject a little bit, but going back more to what's happening uh, out there today with the, the, um, the sacraments and uh, how we can still practice some of the sacraments. We're talking to our chaplain and uh, he said, you know, yes, you, you don't have the Eucharist right now, but you can still have some of the other sacraments in small or family settings. And we know one of those that we still have is reconciliation and adoration. And we have talked somewhat about adoration, and we'd welcome you to talk some more about that. But what about reconciliation? How are you feeling about that right now in terms of its importance to people during this time? Well, we could step back a couple steps and consider this, that this is perhaps the whole reason why our saving Lord has allowed the coronavirus, is to draw people to their knees and to draw them back to confession. This could be why. You know, there are many, many people who go to Mass and receive communion every Sunday and never go to confession, which should not be. I mean, we should all go to confession at least, at bare minimum, once a year. So this could be God's way of saying, okay, I'm going to withhold the Eucharist from you for a few weeks so you get your priorities in order. See, all of us are sinners. St. Paul says in Romans, all have fallen short of the glory of God. 
And as soon as I begin to think, and this is biblical, as soon as I think that I have no sin, I'm already deceived. All of us are sinners. The Bible says the just man, that's the good man, that's the faithful man, the just man falls seven times a day. And so we have to consider that this coronavirus, this crown virus, is calling us to the rosary, is calling us back to confession. That could be one of the main driving factors why our Lord is permitting this. I don't think he caused it. We think it was created man-made in a lab over in Asia. But God permitted it for a reason. Because to receive Holy Communion sacrilegiously is a further sin. It will actually deaden us in our Catholic faith. St. Paul says, too many receive the Lord not recognizing him. And because of that, they're becoming sick, he said. Would you imagine that? So we have to consider that this is meant to drive us into our knees and to bring us to confession. I try to go every week as a priest. It's recommended that priests go to confession once a week. So I try to do that year-round, once a week. And lay people can do the same thing, but it's recommended at least once a month for our beautiful lay people. And again, it's better to be simple and innocent. I think of it this way, because I'm from a big family, and mom and dad are getting ready for dinner. I'm one of eight children. And they go out of their way to make a beautiful dinner. And I come, let's say, to the dinner table slopped in mud and stinking to high heaven. This isn't right. That when you go to a nice dinner, you take a shower first. (laughs) Oops. Give me a break. You take a shower and you get dressed in clean clothes. Those are the virtues. And then you go to the dinner. So why would you give God anything less than that? Why anything less? Here is the dinner of all dinners, the eternal banquet. And we go stinking to high heaven with mud, the mud of sin all over us. If we don't know that we have sinned, we're already blind, you see. Everyone sins in some way. I guarantee if you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you your sins, he'll show you. If you ask him honestly, he's going to show you. And the sacrament itself of reconciliation, the sacrament of confession, actually has a grace within it to make you more aware. It was given to us, this sacrament, to sanctify us. We receive sanctifying grace just like Mass. You receive an increase in sanctifying grace at every confession. And those graces and reconciliation are manifest. In other words, there are many And one is, the more I go to confession, the more I realize how much I need it. The more I realize how much I need God. And those are the first words of the Holy Gospel, of the Catholic Gospel, of the Christian Gospel, by both Jesus and John the Baptist. Repent and receive the Gospel. Repent. Repent comes first. But one more thing. Confession, confession is fun. It's not so bad. (laughs) Okay, expand on that. (laughs) There's a different perspective. (laughs) A different perspective. There actually was a book written years ago, I think it's called The Joy of Confession. I think it was written by a monk. But it's true. You see, what makes me sad? I'll tell you in a nutshell, sin makes me sad. It's sin. My pride or my selfishness, you see, arrogance, or if you in any way play with sexual temptation or or being mean to others, sin makes us miserable, and holiness makes us happy. And by the way, joy only...
only comes from holiness. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It's actually in the infallible Word of God. Joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Only the Spirit can give you joy. And that's the fruit of holiness. When we walk in holiness, we are walking in the way we were meant to walk. We are living the life we were meant to live. Be ye holy, the Scripture says, as God is holy. Be ye holy as I myself am holy, the Lord says to us. Holiness is the way we were meant to live. Sin burdens us with self-will, with self-hatred, with self-love, the wrong kind of self-love. Sin is heavy. But confession washes away all my self-concern and all my self-pride and all the other sins. I come out of confession feeling a thousand pounds lighter. You almost feel like you can take off and fly. Even more, when I go to confession, I reveal to my priest, but also to my Jesus through him, you might say, the worst part of my life. Okay, give me a break. We're all sinners. We need to get over that. We're all sinners. Reveal to the priest and to Jesus through him the worst part of my day or my life. And every time I hear Jesus say to me through the priest, I still love you. I still love you. You're beautiful, and I forgive you, and I fill you with sanctifying grace. Keep on going. Oh, my gosh. There's a definition of joy right there. That God loves me no matter what I say, no matter what I have done. When I go into confession, I put myself in the presence of pure, eternal, dynamic, fiery, divine love. No matter who I am. And it burns away my sin and my self-hatred. And I leave there a new man, joyful again, ready for the battle. Oh my gosh. We need confession. We have to have confession And please, God, one day the whole world will go to confession regularly. That's been prophesied. One day the whole world will be baptized and be going to confession on a regular basis. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And we may actually have drive-up window uh, (laughs) (laughs) confessions coming up. I don't know, or, or for sure by appointment, but we'll still have them. This was beautiful. We've got just a minute before we have to wrap. And are we going to go any to a, to a prayer? Yeah, sure. I mean, our hour's coming to a close, and we're very thankful for Father Jim coming on today from the Society of Our Lady of the Trinity. Thank you, Father Jim. You're welcome. It's, it's always, you know, it's a privilege to share the good news, and we have good news. So thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak about what I love the most, the Lord Jesus and his mother and his church. Thank you. Yes, and we have good news for you listeners out there, because if you didn't get to catch this whole interview, we're going to be putting it up online on our website in the upcoming days, and be sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter so that you can make sure to know right when it's on there, so you can go listen and hear the whole thing, or um, it's also going to be on our app, and so if you haven't downloaded that, you can go to the App Store or on Google Play and download that today, and it's very easy to do. And Father, to close out this hour, would you please lead us in a closing prayer? You know, I would like to lead you in a prayer that I I know I led the whole crew before we started the recording. Yes. It's a beautiful prayer called the Unity Prayer. It has an imprimatur. That means it's been tested thoroughly by the hierarchy of the Church. In this case, in particular by Cardinal Peter Erdo in Budapest. I actually had the privilege to meet with Cardinal Erdo a few months ago, right there in Budapest. 
And we spoke about this prayer and several other aspects of this newly approved and amazing apparition for our time called the Flame of Love, the Flame of Love. And here's the central prayer from the Flame of Love movement, and it's actually a protection prayer over all of God's people. The Lord promised if you said this prayer daily, he would blind anything evil that was trying to attack you, things seen or unseen. He would blind it and paralyze it so you could not be hurt. So I know this prayer works because I've used it. I'm actually trained as an exorcist, and I've used it in really difficult situations, and it worked immediately to protect everyone involved. So this prayer is effective, but it's actually joyful. It's not frightening. It's not scary in any way. It's actually beautiful like Mary, but all-powerful like her as well. And it goes like this. Would you like to say it after me, a studio crew? Yes, sure. yes, please. The unity prayer, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. My adorable Jesus. My adorable Jesus. May our feet journey together. May our feet journey together. May our hands gather in unity. May our hands gather in unity. May our hearts beat in unison. May our hearts beat in unison. May our souls be in harmony. May our souls be in harmony. May our thoughts be as one. May our thoughts be as one. May our ears listen to the silence together. May our ears listen to the silence together. May our glances profoundly penetrate each other. May our glances profoundly penetrate each other. May our lips pray together. May our lips pray together. To gain mercy from the Eternal Father. To gain mercy from the Eternal Father. Amen. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? Beautiful. That is awesome. beautiful. Wow. Promise us, Father, you'll come back again. Oh, I, it will be my joy. It will be my joy. <laughs> well, we will get on Father Blunt's uh, calendar, and we will uh, let everyone know when that's going to be. But in the meantime, we will post that prayer on our website. Thank you, and I'll send you all several thousand of them, so if people want to pick them up, you'll have them ready there just to give them out. That's awesome. Thank Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And thank you, everyone, for listening this afternoon. Be sure to stay tuned as the Chaplet of Divine Mercy is coming up next. God bless. God bless. God bless you.